there's all this talk about manifesting, right? And that you're supposed to think of what you want and manifest it and, and then imagine it coming into your life. Part of me thinks that when we really get a strong desire for something, it's because our soul already knows it's coming. The divine plants the desire in our heart and into our mind to suddenly start looking for that. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 326 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. On this week's show, I'm really excited to have author Renee Linnell back. This is her second time on the podcast. And in this brand new conversation, we're talking about her book that came out just a couple days ago, which is titled Still on Fire. Of course, you may remember Renee. She was on the show about three years ago when her first book, The Burn Zone, came out, which was all about how she found herself in a cult several years ago. And this new book is just a continuation of her amazing craft of storytelling. And the themes that I really felt coming through in this brand new book, Still on Fire, are around trusting your intuition, manifesting things in your life, and this idea that this life is a continuation of your soul's ongoing journey. Of course, these are some of my very favorite themes, and there's such joy and delight in this conversation with Renee that I just can't wait to share it with you. Before we get to it, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Jumpstart Your Joy has been around since 2015, so there are 325 past episodes that you can tune into over on the website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. While you're on the website... Uh, you could sign up for the newsletter, which comes out about every week. <laughs> and there's some little nudges and joyful info there. And you could also buy my book if you want, which came out last year, Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. I will also be releasing an audio and an ebook version of that very soon. The other thing you may want to check out is the show notes for this episode. That's where I give you a little synopsis along with links to resources which you will find for this episode, including a link to our past conversation, Renee's two books, and a couple other things that we're referencing. I think you're going to love this conversation because, of course, season seven has been all about intentional comfort. And I think you'll see that there's so many ways that we touch on comfort in this conversation, especially about the ways that animals impact and bring joy to our lives, and really how trusting your intuition and your gut can help you find more comfort and joy in your every day. So without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Welcome back to the show, Renee. Thank you, Paula. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, I very much loved our first discussion and your first book, which of course was all about how you found yourself in a cult. That was three years ago. Could you share with us what's been bringing you joy in the in these last three years? I can't believe it's been three years. Um, what has been bringing me joy has been continually discovering myself and continually stripping off layers that I built to please the world. It's, they're so insidious in all the little things that we do to people please and the little ways we betray ourselves. And I really think I've spent the last three years just refining and refining that. Even things as simple as being invited to go to the theater with friends and realizing my heart really wants me to stay home and take a bath and being able to honor that guidance. So that's brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. I think 
It's interesting. Do you feel like some of that is a result of changes because of COVID and lockdown? Do you feel like any of that changed things in how you were reacting to, say, invitations or trusting your intuition about what you want to do? Well, I think there were so many miracles in the last two and a half years for all of us, because the only way we can get to know ourselves is to get still enough to really listen to the callings of our heart. And I think so many of us were forced to do that. And I love being alone. I love being in quiet. I love cooking for myself and being in nature. For me, it was just like the universe gave me permission to do that for two years. Uh one of the things I would love to know, this book is, it's written even really differently because the other book, the original, the original, <laughs> your first book felt more like it was a story unfolding in a timeline. And this one, we're jumping in and out of interesting stories with you that you are very, very astutely also weaving into bigger themes, which I was like, oh, this is a good one. What brought you to write this book right now? I love First of all, that you get me, you're like my target audience, <laughs> because it is all these just interesting stories, but it is my way of weaving in these bigger themes that I think are so soul soothing and uplifting. And I wrote this book because so many of my readers wanted a sequel, which was so sweet. And then people had asked for a memoir of my travels. And then my girlfriends, as I was trying to regain my mojo after not dating for so long, anytime I would tell them about one of my romantic interludes, they would just start dying laughing. And they're like, you've got to put this in your next book. And so that's how it became this interesting compilation of all of those things. Yeah. And it is. It's, I love a magical book like this because it, it's, it's like... It's like almost Dickinsonian, the way you are like very craftily waving in all these themes that there's foreshadowing. There's one point you introduce, I mean, I know these are real people, but you introduce us to Holden. And I literally, as I was writing up my questions for you, I was like, did you end up meeting him? But then we find out in the next chapter, of course, I didn't know if it was a cliffhanger. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I got to revise these questions. Like, yes, we do meet Holden. But I just, I love that. It's a craft. It, it's really fun and really a treat to read when you get to see that in a book. And I see the big themes of being like trusting your intuition, having this faith that there's more to our soul's journey than just this window and this lifetime. And also just following kind of your heart, but all those those nudges that the universe sends us. Is that where you set out for with this book? It is. I. It's interesting because with the burn zone and my story of being in a cult and being so devastated and shattered, I didn't want to be here anymore. And then as I found my way out of that and started to enjoy life again, and it took a long time, the healing took so much longer than I thought it would. And then life has really just gotten better and better and better as the layers of facade have fallen off of me. And as I've learned to trust who I am and to celebrate the ways I'm different and um, and to love myself and to nurture myself. And so I actually just forgot what the question was. <laughs> that's okay. I think that's a profound answer because I don't know that I felt like the last time we talked that you truly were at a point at the end of that book that you really, you didn't know if you wanted to be here anymore. Like that's a hard place to be. It is. It's interesting because as the world has been falling apart, I've had a lot of moments over the last two and a half years. And one of the things, one day I was like, you know, I'm here by choice. I'm, I've lived 48 great years 
if I want to stay, I can stay. If I want to leave, I can leave. We all get that choice, but I'm going to stick around because there's so much good. And then I've just forced myself to keep looking at the good, turn off the TV, turn off the social media, and just look at the person standing next to me, whoever it is, even if it's just the guy bringing me room service in the morning at a hotel. It's like, this is why I'm here. And then I start loving people again. And I love being here and I want to stay. Yeah. Mm, That's so powerful. Because I mean, really, the things that I often talk about here is that joy is a choice. And that sometimes it in some of the harder moments for me, it wasn't that it's that exuberant, over the top joy, but it's just that very quiet thing that's calling me back to being maybe just present here. It's interesting how I feel like the universe, it'll nudge you along too of, wait, there may be more to learn or more to experience this time around. It will. And I think, as you were saying, it's not the human experience to be in joy all the time. And it wouldn't be as rich an experience if we were. And I think in spiritual communities and even on social media, all the focus is on light and love and being happy and everything's great. And the truth is that 50% of the time, it's not going to be great. That's the dichotomy, right? And it's what makes the sweet parts of life so sweet. And I have days where I'm really down and I know that kind of anything I do is not going to shift my mood. I'm just in it. And then a bird will come land, you know, on the windowsill. And it's just something like that just lifts me so high, even though I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm angry, but yet there's this beautiful bird. And so it's this undercurrent of joy, even in the days of despair. You're right. And I think a lot of what we get taught or people tell us it's not possible to hold those two things in the same moment of knowing Uh, I'm just in it and knowing that like the dog or the bird or sometimes I talk about the artichoke plant outside. But like there's those little things where you're like the creation here, like this is exquisite. How did we even get like how did these things even show up? And that'll often bounce me back into the curiosity zone, which I think is better than the fear space. (laughs) And oh, my gosh, an artichoke plant, seeing those the hearts bloom into that purple flower. (laughs) (laughs) I never knew that that's what they looked like until one day I did. And I thought, wow, there's something else. They get so big. One of the things I, we have to talk about it because in the book, you mentioned that you had an Akashic record reading. I've had one. It was fascinating for me. Um, And you also bring up this idea of the opt out, which I feel like we have to talk a little bit about Akashic records and about this idea of the opt out. Do you want to explain what the readings are like uh, for those people who don't know? So I my understanding is that the Akashic records hold the information of every soul and from the beginning of eternity to forever, just onwards for forever. I had talked to somebody who had a reading and I thought, I really want to do that. And I reached out to the woman and she wasn't available for two months or something. And so then I set the date and I was supposed to call her. And then I happened to the day before, this was when I was so broken and I write about it in the burn zone, but I was snowboarding in 18 inches of fresh powder and I was flying down the mountain and I hit a buried boulder and I flew up in the air and landed on my head and rolled out of it. And by the end of the day, I wanted a totally different life. I didn't want to live in New York. I didn't want to be in school. I didn't want to date my boyfriend. I didn't want to own my business. I just wanted to move to Colorado and write. 
And the next morning I had this call that I've been waiting for for two months. And I didn't know whether to trust this person or not, but I was allowed to ask her five questions. And so my first question was, what happened yesterday? That's all I asked her. I said, everything, or I said, everything shifted what happened. And she goes, Renee, ski accidents are so interesting. People die all the time. No one asks questions, but you chose to stay. And when you chose to stay, you chose to get on your real path. And I hadn't told her about the ski accident. So I immediately was like, okay, this woman knows her stuff. Yeah. And then she explained the opt-outs. And she said, our soul schedules these opt-outs in our lifetime. And if we don't want to be here, and I'm getting goosebumps as I'm saying it, but these are the accidents that happen um, where somebody instantly leaves their body, transitions to non-physical. There are the strokes, the heart attacks, the overdoses. And she said that we do schedule them throughout our lifetime and we can choose to exit or we can choose to stay. And when I landed, I tucked my neck and rolled out of it instead of breaking my neck. And I also realized the last thing I did before I got on that plane was redo my will. <laughs> Uncanny. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and as I was getting ready to talk to you again, there was something about that opt-out idea. I've had several people on the show with who've had near-death and shared-death experiences. And for some reason, these episodes, people love this stuff. I'm sure it's because we're, we realize that the veil is thin, right? And that we're very connected to the other side. But I also wonder, is a near-death experience just another reframing of an opt-out, right? Like you got there, you saw the other side. I mean, not you personally, maybe in your experience, but one of the gentlemen, and people can go back and listen to William J. Peters, he talks about, I think it was also a skiing accident that he had, but that he decided, you know, he saw himself float up and he said, no, I'm coming back. And I wonder, is that the opt-out? Like, I have to ask. I do. I do think so. So I also do think we get a choice, which is often the coma. So when somebody's say, in a car accident or whatever, and they enter the coma phase, or even when you read about people with such bad cancer that it's shutting down their organs and they go into coma and then they come back and heal themselves, like Anita Morjani in her amazing book, Dying to Be Me. But there's so many stories of that and that they have a period where they get to review their life and decide, are they done or do they want to come back in? Which is yeah. just so amazing. It really is. Yeah. I'm going to have to look more into that because it was like, I want, I bet that is. I bet that's the opt out and you opted back in. Yeah. My record reading and what was discovered there to me was kind of like not a surprise, but that I've mostly uh, incarnated as a male. I'm four foot ten and I'm small, so this is funny, but like a very large man that usually held places of prominence and that I told you in an email that I died a horrific death to gruesome dimensions. <laughs> like, I wonder, like, what do we know? And are those triggers from the past when we start to see things in this realm that remind us of those not so pleasant moments? I definitely think they're triggers from the past, from past lives. Like when people have a fear of water or a fear of flying or whatever. And I do think the Akashic Record readings can help with that to understand that was a trauma in a past life. We don't have to bring it into this one. Yeah. And I also think it's interesting, the idea of incarnating as a man in so many lives and then in the body of a woman, because I really do think that our soul cho chooses our body and designs it mm -hmm. to do what we came here to do and learn what we came here to learn. I have to agree. And I've felt that way for a long time. 
And it sometimes makes me feel sad that I'm straightening my curly hair because I probably picked it. <laughs> I'm like, no. I would say along with any body modification, I wish that people had to go through a course before they were allowed to modify their bodies. And some sort of just, can I fall in love with myself exactly as I am with mm -hmm. all the parts that I want to change? Is there a way to just love all of it and to see it all as divinely perfect? And then from that place of, I love this incredible body. I love the way it digests food for me and breathes for me and knows when to wake up and knows when to go to the bathroom and knows how to expel the poisons and the toxins and it gets me to move around on this incredible planet. From that point, then do I still want to modify my body? Yeah. And if it's still a yes, then yes, go ahead. It's your body. You get to do whatever you want. But I think right. too many people are looking for that soul satisfaction and in exterior ways without reaching within. And then I think what happens is they're still not happy. So now the body's changed and they're still not happy. That's really powerful. I also really love that in this book, animals, they come in, they play a huge role, as they should. Will you tell us the story of Kai and Pele? <laughs> yes. So she has a whole chapter in the new book, Still on Fire. But the quick story is that I she was the love of my life. I know I had she was with me in Egypt and all these other past lives. And she and I had a reunion when I was in college. She came to me in an animal shelter. She was very sure of who I was and she chose me and I had her for 10 years and she was the love of my life. And then she left me, transitioned to non-physical. And 10 years later, when I moved to Colorado and I was so broken and trying to heal, I was ready to have her back. And I got a really strong impulse to look on the Aspen animal shelter website I looked, they had 10 cats. I looked through all of them. None of them was Kai. And then the bottom one was absolutely her, without a doubt, definitely my baby. Her name was Puffy. I couldn't believe I found her so quickly the day that I decided to look. And so I drove to the animal shelter and it's about 20 minutes away. I went to get her and she didn't want me. She hissed at me and she was kind of a jerk. And I, I left there in shock because I was so sure that she was the reincarnation of Kai. And so anyway, six months later, I'm sitting on my patio and a cat shows up. It didn't have a collar. And I asked her what her name was. And the name that came was Pele, which is the Hawaiian goddess of the volcano. And this was definitely a goddess, this cat. She ends up moving in with me. We fall completely in love. I'm sure she's the reincarnation of Kai. I'm a little confused on why Puffy was so surely her and was the reincarnation of Kai. So anyway, I text my brother. He says, you're a cat stealer. You have to put up a found cat sign. I decide he's right. So I do. A woman comes to claim her and she'd named her Harriet. And as she was leaving my house with her, I said, where did you get her? And she said, the animal shelter. And I said, I was there. I don't remember a cat named Harriet. And she said, well, we changed her name. Her name was Puffy. So Puffy had gotten adopted <laughs> by somebody who lived close enough to me and then got out and came to me and found me. And I didn't recognize her because they'd shaved her. So, so the woman took her home. She called me. She said, she doesn't want to be here. I'll let her out. And if she comes back to you, she's your cat. And she came back. It literally brought a tear to my eye. Like the ability of that animal to find you and who knows what her morning had been when she hissed at you, but like just wow. 
Um, well, and I realized that if I had taken her home from the shelter that day, I wasn't ready for her six months prior. Mm-hmm. I needed to heal. So the timing was perfect. And the universe found a way to still bring her to me, which is incredible. Ah, oh, I love that there's this theme then, too, of you recognizing people and, and spirits and souls from past lives. And I mentioned Holden before, just someone that you had had even on a vision board and then came to meet. How's that? We won't give any spoilers. I think this whole book shows the power of divine choreography. There's all this talk about manifesting, right? And that you're supposed to think of what you want and manifest it and and then imagine it coming into your life. Part of me thinks that when we really get a strong desire for something, it's because our soul already knows it's coming. The divine plants the desire in our heart and into our mind to suddenly start looking for that. And so I think that's what happened to me is I just started getting a vision of this man. And it was so strong that then I finally went online to look for a picture of him to put on a vision board, something that looked like the vision I was getting. And I found the perfect picture. And he was some random guy living in Japan. And then a couple of months later, the universe sent the man from Japan to my tiny town. Amazing. Because it strikes me too, like there's Louis Pasteur, who of course discovered penicillin and pasteurization. He said, chance favors the prepared mind, which I feel like is exactly what you're talking about. If you are prepared and know what you're looking for, then of course chance becomes a little bit more like likelihood to hit for you. Because you didn't know exactly what you were looking for until you did. And it's in the Carlos Castaneda books. His teacher talks about the square millimeter of chance and how life is always wanting to offer us these moments to allow in miracles. But so many of us aren't paying attention. So, you know, you're looking at your cell phone or you have headphones on, you're distracted, you're in your mind and you're not completely present and ready to jump on that square millimeter of chance that's being offered all the time. And so I think the more present we are and the more aware, I really try to not have my cell phone out when I'm in public just because of the stuff I'll miss, like the bird flying by or the puppy or the baby or the sweet person coming to ask for directions or whatever it is. But all those miracles, you miss those when you're not present. And yes, I do think once we start believing in miracles and we believe that the universe is constantly looking for ways to surprise and delight us, and then we go out of our doors in the morning like, ooh. I wonder what the universe has in store for me today. We're much more ready. We're in receptive mode, let's just say. Well, and there's so much more joy in that. That I was just saying that like the current news cycle is so fast and so full of fear that I think it is easy for us to get wrapped up in that and feel like we have to keep ourselves safe and the only safe place is home or whatever it is. I mean, that's actually what we were literally told. But if we can jump into the other side of it and be on the lookout for all those miracles... Like, that's fun. <laughs> that's a lot more fun. It's so fun. You think of just for example, traveling, right? And you look around when you're traveling and everyone looks miserable. And it's like we've forgotten the miracle of we're 30,000 feet in the air in a metal tube. That's a miracle. We can go from one side of the country to another or one side of the world to another in a day or a couple of days. That's a miracle. And so then, so when I travel, I know it's going to be a pain in the butt, but I always, I put on makeup, I dress nicely, I get really excited for who am I going to meet? I call them divine appointments. Who am I going to sit next to? Who am I going to meet at the bar? 
where am I going to end up? Am I even going to make it to where I'm going? Or is the universe going to detour me to some airport hotel? I don't know. But if the universe does, it's like, oh, well, who am I going to meet here? What food am I going to taste? Is there going to be a gym? Do I get to go exercise? And then secondly, it's this day of magic and miracles and divine appointments and angels. And all I care about is if I land safely. And then I'm having a great time while everyone else is pissed off. I like what you're saying because it brings the adventure back to it. Like it shows you're here and you care. And so let's talk a little bit about where can people find Still on Fire? Where can they find you? What are you up to? My website's the best way to find out about all of it. And that is ReneeLinnell.com. R-E-N-E-E-L-I-N-N-E-L-L.com. It comes out August 16th. And any bookstore can pre-order it for you. I'll link up to that in in the show notes. And yeah, I, the last question I ask everyone, and I don't, I didn't look back to see what you said last time, so we'll do it again. But what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? I would say the first one has to be self-care, self-nurturing. Really stop expecting other people to love you and hold you and listen to you and cherish you and give you flowers and presents. Start doing that for yourself. That was my biggest number one step to joy. Because then when you go out in the world, you're not going out empty looking to be filled. You're going out filled. And then when you go out filled you have the time and the patience to really see other people and to see where you can help them. And that brings the human soul so much joy to be helpful. We love helping each other. And then the last thing I would say is the little things, like really start tuning into the little things that bring you joy, tiny things like a cup of coffee or whatever it is, and give yourself those things constantly. A walk in nature, you say, oh, I don't have time. But yes, you can take 10 minutes and walk in nature. Or I don't have time to meditate. Yes, you can wake up 10 minutes early and meditate and luxuriate over coffee. Thank you so much. <laughs> People need to go get this book. It really does jumpstart joy. And I think that's, we all need it. So thank you for writing it. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for reading it. And thank you for inviting me to be on your show again. I love <laughs> talking to you. <laughs> of course. I hope you loved this conversation with Renee as much as I did. It was such a treat to have her back on the show and to catch up. If you want to find out more and get the links to our past conversation and her books and a couple of the other things that we talk about here, you can find them all in the episode notes, which are at jumpstartyourjoy.com. It will be on the homepage this week as this episode comes out. You can also go buy her book right now. It came out on August 16th, and that's titled Still on Fire. The link will be in the resources section of the show notes. And if you want to listen to the past 325 episodes of this show, you can head over to the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Of course, while you're there, you can sign up for the newsletter or another place to connect. I love connecting with all of you so much. I'm on Instagram at jumpstartyourjoy. Next week on the show, I'm really excited to be looking back at another one of the top performing episodes of this season, which is 10 things that will inspire more passion and joy in your work and life. And this was one of your favorites. So I'm really excited to look back at it and give you a little more inspiration as we're wrapping up season seven. Then we're going into the countdown and then we're going to the finale. So we are almost there. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back for all those. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.